The title of this morning's talk is Divesting Ourselves of Possessiveness. In other words, I'm inviting you, me, everybody else, to drop our preoccupation with ownership. You see, we tend to guide our lives to run our lives guided by the goal of appropriating whatever comes our way. Home, land, things, persons, whatever becomes our life project. Now, it's true, this project bestows on us a significant material power, and this is not negligible, true. But the true bottom line of this project, not of owning things, but turning that into a project, is that we lose intimacy and freedom. So today I will examine the various ways in which this uh, loss comes about. And then what consider what happened, what can happen, if we finally decide to divest from the ownership project. Let me start with a little story. Um, half a century ago, Raquel and me studied Danish in preparation to going to Denmark. We were living in Edinburgh for several years, and um, I got a job in Copenhagen, so I thought we'd study Danish. As it turned out, we really never learned it. <laughs> you know, it's not an easy language. So we weren't very good at it. And in fact, when we got to Denmark, the little Danish we had uh, was useless because everybody spoke much better da English than we Danish, you know. Still, somehow, as I was planning this talk, an item from that learning came up. It was a little poem. And, uh, Trusting that there's nobody here who speaks Danish, I will <laughs> take a chance of, of saying it in Danish, in pseudo-Danish, pigeon Danish. Goes like this. It's called Lille Kat. Lille Kat, Lille Kat Povayan. Which means, little cat, little cat along the way, whose are you? Whose are you? That is, who do you belong to? I am damn well my own. And, and, and that's a very mild translation of the Danish. <laughs> so, here's this little cat. 
acting out a charade that we humans are habitually caught in, namely deciding over and over again whether the items we encounter belong to us or to others. It can only be one or the other. It all boils down to ownership. The only issue, again, to be decided is whether we are the owners of this or that, or in fact, as in the case of the little cat, whether we are being owned. To own or to be owned, that is the question. When we buy into this way of being the world, our take on all that surrounds us, little cat and long and all, becomes exceedingly narrow. Let me explain, step by step. For instance, one obvious effect of the ownership project is that it creates a polarity between owner and own. It enshrines that polarity. There's no middle way. Either you own, like the little cat, like, or, or you are owned, like the little cat. So, under the threat of being owned by others, we surely work very hard to become owners ourselves, in a different language but with the same meaning. In order to avoid being controlled, we take pains to control ourselves, so that things and beings even will become mine. It's my land, my home, my dog, my cat, my goat, my employee, my children, my wife, my wife, my husband. Of course, true, in ordinary language, these are simply terms of reference, right? I mean, it's, it's Shortcut to say, my wife, this is my wife, you know. Person I'm married to, that's what it could imply. My land, that's where I live. But the possessiveness thing tends to creep in and is more often than not implicit in that little word, mine. And then the mine feeds into me. In the end, the more I own, the more me I feel. The ownership relationship leaves no room for reciprocity, for sharing. 
So the polarity of possession, well, latching together, stood, joins together owned and own, an owner, but it's really keeping them in opposition, separate, owner and owned. Now, although we are not fully aware of this most of the time, this polarity extends to relationship between the sense of me and the sense of my body, my mind. This is no marginal thing. In fact, the Buddha devoted much effort in, in clarifying this phenomena. And he did so when he talked about the so-called five aggregates. Five aggregates are a way of describing our body and four aspects of our mind. And he says the five aggregates invite possession, invite clinging. They are susceptible to clinging. And so, when we see a body-mind that way, we create a polarity within ourselves. And, and, and the me becomes the owner of the mind and body, clings to it. We disjoin ourselves. It's subtle, but it's so often implicit in the way we think of ourselves. My body. Seems to be something else that we show to others. Another disjoining created by the ownership project results from the fact that in order to establish ownership, we need to disjoin the item that we own from the rest of the world. See, and this is, of course, quite reasonable. In order to establish the ownership of our property. We've done that when we bought. We hired a surveyor who marked the limits of our property. That goes with the culture. But it implies partitioning the world. Each prospective asset has to stand apart from the rest, whether it's land, whether it's our apartment in a building, again, very clearly separate from the one next door, unless, of course, they make too much noise and then whatever, knock on the door or the roof, whatever. 
This may be quite inevitable, sure, of course. The, the, the only problem is the sense that we infiltrate in there. But in other areas of our life, it's less obvious. You know, when I was in academia, and those of you who have anything to do with any bureaucracy, you know, you know, you develop a sense of your turf. And heaven forbid that anybody would transgress into our turf of activity. It's not a physical thing. Is that I'm whatever, I'm the professor here, the chairman of the department. I decide. There are many subtleties to that and many clashes in that. But it's like a territory, only not a physical territory, that is assigned to us. And many of the frictions in the workplace come from that. Furthermore, as a scientist, too, I had a very clear uh, claim to the territory of my research. I was a research scientist. And that area was not to be touched by anybody without my permission. <laughs> so everything becomes grist of the mill of, for ownership. And of course, you know, international barriers are wow. That's the, the pits, you know. And, and the barriers are erected regardless of the consequences. Um, currently in Mexico, for instance, our border with Mexico, Partial walls have been erected, and they, as has been reported, they wreak havoc, havoc with the ecological uh, flow of things, you know. They put a barrier preventing animals to go from the north to the south, and vice versa. Animals don't know that there's two countries there, and they and, and it destroys the habitats. And then there's a, a biblical story from the book of Solomon, that's well known, Solomon, that uh, illustrates the dire consequences of this quest for ownership. In this story, there are two women, uh, they are courtesans, or very clearly, as the Bible says, prostitutes. And uh, they give birth a few days apart, and they are roommates. And the problem starts very sadly, because one of the newly born babies dies. And now both women claim the baby to be their own, 
the circumstances of the death of the baby were such that they weren't differentiated yet. It was just a few, a few days after birth also. So, because they cannot settle the quarrel, they go before King Solomon. They bring along the surviving child, and both of them plead their case. It's my child. No, it's my child. The King Solomon says just one thing. I'm sure many of you know. Bring me a sword. So one of his assistants brings a sword, and then he says, cut the baby in half. Upon hearing that, one of the two women is panic-stricken, and he says, she says, no, 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 it's not mine, like, not mine. Don't cut him up. And of course, through that, the king knows that she is the real mother. Mm. But look at what the ownership project can do, and that's, of course, why that story has been recounted so many times. An additional disjoining that the ownership project creates is disjoining, separating those who own. They, they clearly, as we assign a territory of operation for ourselves, we also separate ourselves. We reinforce the sense of separation from other owners. When I say this is my turf, this is my territory. I underscore my separation from somebody who has an, another territory. And if there's a transgression, I feel violated. And so we end up keeping our distance from others through the boundaries of what we own and what we control. So, in summary, just to go over what I've emphasized here, the ownership project manages to separate, disjoint me from my property, my property from your property, and me from you. As a result of all of this, there's a, a proliferation of alienation, and we end up enclosed in the cocoon of our assets. It, it, of course, I, I must say that again. There is a place for boundaries. For instance, at some point in their lives, our children need the privacy of, our, of their own room, particularly if you, we have more than one child, and, and so that they can discover their own path 
and life. Our two daughters are very different, and I remember how important it was for them to have a, a room divider. Actually, they had to share a room, but they had a room divider, which is critical for their growing up. And yeah, and, and, and things are very different from on one side of the room divider and on the other. Or, or here, of course, we need to keep a sanctuary of silence, you know, with closed doors communicating to the noisy area, or not so noisy, but relatively noisy area of, the, of this place, of St. Joseph's Villa. And, and it's appropriate, of course. But they're not permanent, these two examples, not permanent boundaries on the country. There are boundaries to be dismantled. If we don't, we remain imprisoned inside those boundaries. There are, of course, some boundaries that are quite subtle and intangible. Uh, I was uh, happened to to run into a, a passage of War and Peace the other day, and it seemed to me to illustrate that quite well. It has to do with uh, Natasha, who is uh, call her the heroine, at least has been for me of War and Peace, who is at the opera. They're always at the opera there. <laughs> And she's introduced to Anatole. And Anatole invites her to a party. This is uh, what Tolstoy says about that. Of course, it's fiction, but it's a fiction that has a lot of reality. While, say, while saying this, while inviting her to the party, he never removed his smiling eyes from her face, her neck, and her bare arms. <coughs> Natasha knew for certain that he was enraptured by her. This pleased, pleased her, and yet made her feel constrained and oppressed. Looking into his eyes, she was frightened, realizing that there was not that barrier of moder modest reserve she always felt between herself and another man. She did not know how it was that within five minutes she had come to feel herself so close to this man. So, yes, indeed, when barriers come down, particularly the ones we are used to, it can be scared. It was really her lack of inner barriers. But this is something we can develop in a very flexible way. Often, in fact, in, in so many other ways, we find ourselves caught in similar situations, 
romantic or otherwise, more often than not otherwise, in a dilemma between security and freedom. If we are overcome by fear, our only thought is to barricade ourselves into our own space. But there is an alternative. We may choose to live a free life. And in order to live a free life, eventually, the cocoon separating us from the world must go. But how? How do we relinquish, how we get rid of the cocoon of alienation? Basically, or fundamentally, we need to stop using the sense of I, me, mine, this sense of ownership as a way to cordon ourselves from the world. Of course, we need to retain some boundaries, but they need to be flexible and appropriate. We, of course, need to continue to respect the conventional boundaries that our culture has put in place in order to facilitate the transaction of our daily life. But that does not mean that we build them up, that you use them to build up a, a solid separation for ourselves. Anyway. Anyway, it's, it's an illusion to think we can make ourselves totally secure. Forget it, through ownership or through any form of demarcation. Listen to the Buddha 2,500 years ago. For whom, in name and form, in every way there is no sense of mine, to whom that doesn't occur, this is mine. For whom nothing is others. Feeling no sense of mindness. He, who doesn't grieve at the thought, I have nothing. Not harsh, not greedy, not perturbed, everywhere in tune. In tune, indeed, we need to be with the changing river of life. You know, rivers start a small stream somewhere, up in the mountains very often, and rush down the watershed, flowing and meandering along the valleys, occasionally going through rapids, and eventually vanish into the sea. As with rivers, our beginnings and endings are just arbitrary demarcations. The flow of water, that is, the flow of life, is endless. And as with rivers, 
our personal nature is nothing but a blend of affluence, a blend that of all that flows into us. And yet, we keep insisting that we originated from scratch and will pass away from scratch as well. If instead of focusing in the cocoon of me and mine, we could see ourselves as part of the whole. If we do that, then the limits of our individual life will be seen, understood as just a blip in the vast flow of life. As, and we'll see ourselves as beings not made from scratch at birth, but continuing that flow as unborn. That's a word that the Buddha uses quite often. He says, for instance, in this uh, segment of the sutras of the scriptures, he's talking to the monks. There is monks an unborn, unbecome, unmade, unfabricated. If there were no unborn, unmade, become, unmade, unfabricated, there would be no case for the emancipation from the born, became, become, made, fabricated. That would not be possible. But precisely because there is an unborn, unbecome, unmade, unfabricated, emancipation from the born, become, made, fabricated is possible. So, next time your birthday comes up, sorry, your unbirthday comes up, <laughs> maybe you can see yourself as a confluence of all the streams, streams and tributaries that came together to form the river that bears your name. And even if each one of us in conventional parlance may and will necessarily, I think, refer to life as my life, we would come to understand that in truth there is no owner and nothing being owned. Now, it's fine and dandy to say all these words, but these are just words that I can give you. The realization needs to come from conviction, not from the logic of words. And basically, from a deep willingness inside each one of us to let go of the I, let go of the ownership project. Not because anybody says it, and not before you're ready to do it, but whenever you're ready. 
It's not that you stop, you know, being a person in your own right with your own peculiarities, with your own assets and your own problems. But it's that you don't turn that into a project. And where do we find the open space of freedom, the space where possessiveness does not compute? In our practice, with the eyes closed, we often, and, and I encourage that, we often picture this space of freedom as a space inside us. You'd hear myself or other teachers inviting you to go inwards. And, and it makes sense, you know, in ordinary life, the space around us is preempted by the rules of conventional behavior, which include this search for ownership of everything. Only when we turn inwards, quote-unquote, do we stand a, a chance to create a clearing. In the late 70s, towards the end of my active scientific career, I was privileged to work under the guidance of a of Max Delbruck, German, but who, who lived most of his life in the US, and an absolute first-class biophysicist, and also a Nobel Prize winner, and not just any Nobel Prize winners, you know, all kinds of Nobel Prize winners. When he died at age 75, his widow, Manny, sent me and others a card. We just didn't have, <laughs> didn't realize I had such great love for this man. On the card, there was a quote from a German poet, Novalis, which read, which read in German, Wohin gehen wir denn immer nach Hause? Where are we going? Always home. And then Manny <laughs> transcribed what Max wrote in his diary a few years before his death as a commentary. 
and heroic. The journey of life, which seems so much to be going outward, in vain turns out to have been going inward most of the time. You know, I, I, I think I know why I'm so touched as I share this with you, because that was my life too, in, in a small sort of way. But, but when Max says it, it's quite astonishing, you see. He was somebody who had developed such a skill to explore the world outside. By golly, he broke through many barriers of knowledge by being totally rational and objective and out there. And yet, he says, in the end, I think he's saying, I missed this going inwards. I was privileged to have the opportunity to still do it. But then again, in the end, the issue is not outward or inward, is not inside or outside. The issue is going to a place that is unencumbered, is a place where truth can shine unhindered. For many religious people, and certainly for the people who are running this place, the unhindered place, the place is not so much inwards as outside in the heavenly spaces, in the vastness of heaven. Fair enough, that's, that's not an issue. What, mat what matters is not where we map such a space, but that we find it, that we find a space free of preconceptions, simply open to the sensations and, and open to let sensations and insight arise and pass away. A space where there's no place for clinging. A space that is not susceptible to ownership, not susceptible to privatization, space that connects us with the ocean of life, where all rivers discharge the flow, our rivers, and where we all come together. May we all come home to our home devoid of boundaries. Let's sit in silent for a few minutes, please. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.